Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. So a few weeks later, John heads off to the Air Force. And I'll tell you a little bit more about what happened with John later. But here's what I want you uh, to know. Here's what I don't want you to miss. John accepted Jesus because Mrs. Sign understood that there is no such thing as a weekends-only Christian. Every Christian is called to work. And the work that we're called to do is to build the church by making disciples. And that call is for all of us. It's for me, it's for you, it's for every single person in this room that claims the name of Jesus, but it seems like such a precious few of us actually take up that mantle. Why is that? Our scripture this morning is Haggai chapter 2. I I say our scripture, we're going to be all over Haggai, but our our primary scripture this morning is Haggai chapter 2, verse 4, specifically the second half. It says this, Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. I love this verse. It's maybe my favorite verse in the whole Bible. So much is wrapped up in this one simple statement. God is calling you to work, but he's taking responsibility for the results. God is calling you to build the church, but he's taking responsibility for its success. God is calling you to make disciples, but he's taking responsibility for seeing them grow. So then why do we fail to do the work? Why do so few of us take up this call? This morning I want to explore three objections, three objections to why we fail to do the work that God has called us to do, and they're all found here in the book of Haggai. I also want to explore how does the Lord respond to these objections? And by the end of our time together, my hope, my prayer is that all of us will be without excuses and all of us will be excited and ready to take on the work that God has called us to do. But before we go any further, let's pray again. Lord, I pray that you would um, speak to us through your word this morning, that the objections that we all have, some, sometimes very reasonably, that you would um, address those in our hearts so that we might take seriously the call on our lives to do the work of building the church by making disciples. I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, before we hop into the first objection, I wanna give some brief background on the book of Haggai. Uh, I could spend way too long diving into this, but here's the Cliff Notes version. The people of Judah were exiled to Babylon, and after 70 years of exile, once the Persians took over, the remnant of Judah begins to go back to Jerusalem. And the very first thing that they do, as soon as they get back, is they start to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. They're like, we're going to get it right this time. God's going to love it. But um, almost immediately after they begin to rebuild the temple, they've gotten the altar built and start, they start to lay the foundations of the temple. And that's about as far as they go before the king in, in Persia dies. And then the new Persian king, because of some influence from some um, hecklers nearby, he sends a cease and desist letter and he tells them, hey, you got to stop rebuilding the temple. So they do. 
So the Lord in the book of Haggai compares this uh, unfinished work, this incomplete temple, he compares it to a corpse that's defiling their worship and ruining their sacrifices. This is, this is the word picture he uses. So just imagine that sitting next to you in your pew, there is a dead person, and God is like, hey, do you think that a dead person sitting next to you in the pews is maybe making things a little bit awkward, maybe ruining the vibe? And um, they're like, yes, that would definitely ruin the vibe. And um, he's like, that's what this unfinished work is like. It's like there's, you know, someone sitting next to you who's not breathing anymore. And, there, and so it's a very kind of weird word picture, but this is the word picture that he uses. And so the Lord sends the prophet Haggai to encourage the people to finish rebuilding the temple. The book is really short, so I encourage you, maybe in your quiet time this week, it's just two chapters. It won't take you hardly any time at all. Go back and reread the book of Haggai. But what's really unique in this book is that unlike any of the other minor prophets, this is the only minor prophet where there's no threat of a punishment. There's no like, do this or else. It's, it's just a promise of blessing if the people will respond in obedience. But the people have objections for why exactly they haven't finished the work, why they haven't finished rebuilding the temple. And their objections are ones that I think we can relate to and things that we might also say today. So let's walk through these three objections. The first one is this. The first one is, I don't have the time. I'm busy. I don't have the time. But here's the thing about time. I know we like to say that time is money, but it's not like money. I mean, some people have a lot of money, some people have no money, but we all have the same amount of time each day. You have 24 hours. You have 1,440 minutes, 86,400 seconds. We all get the same amount of time. So when we say, I don't have the time, what we really mean is, this isn't important enough for me to prioritize. In fact, this is exactly what God criticizes here when the people say this. Let's take a look at Haggai chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Let's pause here for just a minute. Why are they saying this? I want to remind you, they've caught some flack from some of the non-Jewish locals and uh, they're the ones who send this nasty letter to the Persian king, which, which instigates the cease and desist letter. All that to say, the politics of church are not exactly great. And so everybody's like, maybe now is not a great time for the church stuff. Maybe we'll focus on some other things because the politics for church isn't really good right now. Is this something that we can relate to in recent years? Yeah, I, I think we've, we've seen this in recent years. Um, and so uh, let's continue. Let's see. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Oh man, I love this. The Lord's being a little sassy. I love it. He's like, oh, you don't have time to build my house, but you have time to decorate yours? Oh, okay, that's interesting. He's like, oh, you're too slammed for small groups, but you've got plenty of time for, for, uh, to know every punchline in every season of The Office. You're up to date on all the memes and all the Gen Z lingo and all that. You, you're up to date on all of that stuff. Oh, you're too busy for church, but you found it in your schedule to do three Little League games this weekend. And you got that camping trip coming up. He's like, really, this is harsh. This is like some tough love. 
listen, your son statistically, based on the numbers I got from the NCAA, has a 0.02% chance of making it from high school to the NCAA to the major leagues. But our kids have a 100% chance of needing a relationship with the Lord. Friends, we, we, do, we do what we value. We have exactly enough time for the things we care about. I'm not saying this to disparage sports or watching television or renovating your house or investing in your career. I have lost far too many hours cheering on my Dallas Cowboys. Hours that would have been spent doing something much more um, edifying, I think. So I'm not here to, to criticize. I'm simply saying that these things will never fulfill you in the way that working for Jesus by building his church will. Never. This is what God says to them. This is how he responds. Let's read, we're gonna read verse five and verse nine. It says this. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Listen, the Lord is saying, if you're investing in the things that the world tells you, what the culture tells you will satisfy you, why are you surprised then that it doesn't actually satisfy you? You earn money only to spend it. You eat only to get hungry again. You, you drink only to get thirsty again. And for all that we have, it's never enough. As a society, we've never had it so good. And I know, <laughs> boy do I know, how, how tough and crushing inflation has been. And yet, even with that, in the United States, we've never had more money. We've never had more access to healthcare. We've never had more food, more creature comforts, more information, and yet we've never been more depressed. Some of you may have seen this graph last year came out in the New York Post, but a recent study showed that nearly half, half of eighth, 10th, and 12th grade um, students surveyed in a, uh, in a report, reported that they do not enjoy life. That's up more than nearly twice as many students who reported feeling that way in just 2014. And it's not just the kids who weren't all right. The latest numbers from the government say that 21 million adults had at least one major depressive episode in the last year. That's nearly one in 10 adults. We're, we're not happy. And God is telling us it's because we're not prioritizing what really matters, what really sustains, what really satisfies. Jesus echoes this in Matthew 6. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you're waiting for everything in your life to just be perfect before you prioritize investing in working for the Lord, it's possible that the Lord is intentionally putting obstacles in your path to redirect your focus to him. 
The question really for us is not, do we have the time? The question is, how do we invest our time? Let's move on to the second objection. Objection number two is, I don't have the resources. Now this can take a variety of iterations. You might feel like you don't have the right skills or, or the right talents, like maybe you don't have the right equipping or training. Sometimes we just feel like we don't have enough physical resources, we don't have enough, enough finances or anything like that to make a difference. This is a common objection for why we don't work for the Lord, and I hear it from church members and churches I work with all the time. They'll say, uh, I don't, I, you know what, I, don't, I'm not, I didn't go to seminary, I don't really know a whole lot about the Bible. You know, I'm gonna leave the church work to the super Christians and the professional Christians, and I'm just gonna kind of, I'm gonna come on Sundays and, you know, I'm, I'm here, I, I'm supporting the cause, but I'm, you know, I, I just don't have that much to offer because I don't have the resources. And so with the first objection, God's a little bit sassy. You know, it's like told mic drop moment, like, oh, you've got time to decorate your house, but you're gonna leave mine alone. Here, God doesn't do that at all. He has some empathy. He feels what you're feeling, and he understands how you feel. Verse Haggai chapter two, verse three, he says, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? This isn't God criticizing them at all. Not at all. Okay, okay just a, a brief digression. Has anybody ever watched those Mickey shorts, like the, the, cart, the ones that came out in recent years? I think they stopped making them last year, but like the newer Mickey cartoons, they're really, really funny. And I know that things Disney, we can't trust all things Disney anymore, sadly, but these are mostly really funny. And there's one, my favorite one, is called Potato Land. Has anybody ever seen the potato? Yeah, thank you, there's one of you. Now the rest of you have to go home and you have to search for it on YouTube. I think it's on YouTube and you can watch it, it is hilarious. But I'm gonna spoil it for you right now. Here's the storyline of Potato Land. So, Mickey, Donald, and Goofy are getting in uh, the car and they're going on a road trip because Goofy wants to take them to a place he's dreamed of going to his whole life, Potato Land, America's potato-themed amusement park. He's driven past this sign all of these years, year after year, time after time, and he can't wait to go to Potato Land. And they finally pull up to this sign. You can see it says, Welcome to Idaho, America's Potato land. Now it is dawning on you the way that it is dawning on, on Donald and Mickey that there is no such thing as potato land, right? It's just their motto. It's America's potato land. But Goofy, in typical Goofy fashion, hits his head on this sign in his excitement, passes out, and then Donald and Mickey are left with a choice. We can drag Goofy back into the car, which is what Donald wants to do, or we can build potato land while he's knocked out. And this is exactly, of course, what they do. Next slide. You can see they build a whole magic kingdom out of potatoes using gravy as the mortar. They got the whole thing. They got the Main Street USA. They have the Haunted Mansion. They have the carousel. And they have my favorite, this next slide, the great moments with Mr. Lincoln all out of a potato. And it's hilarious. It's really funny. But what do you think happens when the sun gets, it gets to the heat of the day? What do you think happens to potato land? It begins to melt, of course, because it's built with gravy. And it's very funny, and you really should watch it. It's hilarious. 
Um, and yet, um, sorry, just like I'm thinking of quotes from that. It's really funny. You should watch it. Here's the point. I promise there's a point to this. Sometimes you and I feel like, God, you're asking me to build the magic kingdom, but the best I can do is potato land. I don't have the skills. I don't have the resources. I don't have the money. I don't have the influence. I don't have the education. I don't have any of the things it would take to, to be this big disciple maker. I, I can do potato land at best. That's how we feel. And God does not criticize that. But you and I, as meek and as unequipped and as unprepared as we feel we might be, we have something that, of course, Donald and, and uh, Mickey don't have, and that is the Lord of hosts with us every step of the way to take what little we have and to make much of it. Have you ever read the story about the boy who had five loaves and two fish? that God fed thousands with that meager sacrifice? Or did you ever hear about the time that Jesus saw the widow put the one small coin into the box in the temple and he says, this is worth more than everything else, everyone else has put in? God makes much of very little. This is how the Lord responds. Haggai chapter two, verse six, he says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the, the nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Did you catch this? The Lord is saying he's going to take care of providing all of the resources. He's going to shake the heavens and the earth to do so because it all belongs to him in the first place. Shake the heavens is simply a metaphor that means he's going to act in the world. He's going to act in time. He's going to intervene. And it coincides with the promise that he makes uh, throughout the whole book, which is that he's with us. We have him on our side. We can trust that the Lord will provide what we need when we need it because he's with us. God's calling and his provision are one. He will never call you into a work and then abandon you in it. He won't ever do that. That doesn't mean you'll never be poor or that you're never gonna be stressed about finances or you're never gonna feel like a little bit anxious. The Lord, I think, loves to do that to build up our faith. David once wrote in Psalm 37, he says, I have been young and now I am old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. This from a man who once had to hide for his life in a cave. God provides what we need exactly when we need it, even if it is simply an unnatural hope in a dark place. So if you feel under-resourced or if you feel like you don't have what it takes, join the club. We all feel this way, and it's true. Whatever you have on its own is not enough, but what you have is the Lord of hosts, and therefore anything that you else you have is more than enough because we have him with us. Which leads to our final objection, which is I just don't know that I matter 
This might seem similar to the second objection, but it, the second objection is more like, I just don't know that I have what it takes. This one means like, I just don't know that my contribution makes that much of a difference. Like maybe, maybe what I have is fine, but I, in, in, in this whole room with all of these people, does what I do make that much of a difference? Do I really matter that much? Surely not, surely not me. Surely I don't make that much of a difference. Here's the truth. God's plans don't rely on any one person, but they do depend on you. That sounds like a contradiction. Here's what I mean. God's purposes will be accomplished no matter what. They don't require us, but God's plans include your active participation. Ephesians 2.10 spells this out for us. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's preordained plan includes good works for you to do, that you should walk in them. It's your choice to participate, but there's something in it for you if you'll walk in the work that God has put before you. You're more important than you know, and your work is more consequential. Throughout the book of Haggai, a lot of the direction and the instructions are delivered to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel um, was the governor in Judah, and he must have felt like he was not so important. And I know that might seem crazy because you're like, he's the governor, so it's kind of important. Yeah, but his ancestors were kings. And yeah, yeah, I know he's called to rebuild the temple, but his ancestor Solomon built an ancient wonder of the world. And so he must have thought, what? What good can I do? What impact can I have in my relatively diminished position and influence? So God responds to this first objection about us not having the time with a little bit of sass, and I really love it. The second one, he responds with empathy and saying, hey, just trust me, I'm with you. The third objection, though, he responds to with a promise. He says this in Haggai chapter 2, verse 23. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, there's way more embedded in this verse than we have time to dive into this morning, but for our purposes, let's, let's just cover this. God is saying to Zerubbabel, you may not feel like a king, but when I set the true king on the throne, I will not forget you. You will be a sign and a seal of my blessing and promise. Your place in history is set, and God makes good on his promise. You don't have to go there, but Matthew chapter 1, verse 12 through 16, it says, And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtel, and Shealtel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. I know that was a lot of names, but did you catch Zerubbabel's name? In the genealogy of the king of kings, Zerubbabel is there. He's a direct earthly ancestor of the king of kings. And you might be thinking, that's great for Zerubbabel. 
that's obviously not going to be happening for me. I, I hear you. I get it. But your work in the kingdom really matters, even if it doesn't seem all that significant in the moment. Do you remember Mrs. Sign from the beginning? Mrs. Sign wasn't an evangelist. She was an old lady who decided to show kindness to a 17-year-old kid who definitely didn't deserve it. She bought him a meal, she bought him a watch, and she made sure that he had some good gospel material. And in the moment, I feel certain that she was following the direction of the Holy Spirit. But I also feel, I don't think she was just trying to do a good deed for the day. Like, I, I think that she was listening to what the Lord was asking her to do. But I'm also very sure that after that moment, she just went home and like went on with her life and then just did the next thing that God had prepared in advance for her to do. She just moved on with her life. For her, in some ways, it was just a moment. But for John, for John Ball, my dad, it changed his life. What you do matters. And it's, in a very real sense, I'm not standing here today if it's not for the kindness of an 80-year-old woman. Uh, recently, my dad, who's now semi-retired, I guess, from the insurance industry, he, he now works part-time at his church. There's no such thing as part-time in church, but uh, technically part-time at his church as the outreach pastor. And uh, recently he went on a mission trip to Colombia, and while he was there, um, seven people um, came to know the Lord. And um, he was able to connect, and I've got a picture here from my dad, one of those people, and um, he was able to connect them with a church, and they're already being discipled, and my dad has plans to go back to Colombia this year. Um, and reconnect with some of those people, and, and hopefully maybe more. Um, and, and, and it's not like this isn't the first time in all of these years that people have come to know the Lord because of my dad's witness. Many, 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 many people know Jesus because my dad is an evangelist. And I just want to tell you, sorry, I just want to tell you, you may not think much of a moment and you may never know on this side of eternity what kind of impact you make in people's lives. But you should not think for one second that the work that you do, the everyday work, not, the, not the, this part's the easy part, showing up here, this is easy. But the everyday work of building the church by making disciples is hard, but not complicated. And I just promise you, you might not know this side of eternity, the impact that you make but the one thing that we can't do is pretend like we don't have this call in our lives. He's calling every Christian to work. He's calling you to work. You, not, not you, all. You, you, to work. And the work that he's calling you to do is to build the church by making disciples. Jesus said it this way. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe 
all that I have commanded you. And behold, this word behold just means pay attention. He says, don't, don't forget this. Don't not hear this. He says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is simply reaffirming the promise that he makes through the prophet Haggai in Haggai chapter two, verse four. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. So as this church moves forward in its mission to make disciples, there's gonna be work for you to do, not just the weekend work. It doesn't have to be complicated but it does require you to be a faithful witness doing every good work that God has ordained beforehand for you to do. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much. I thank you for Mrs. Sign, who's with you now. I thank you for her kindness, and I thank you that it is your kindness through us that leads people to repentance. I thank you for my dad, that though he was abandoned by his father, that he has been such a good father to me. And I thank you for each person in this room who is, has a special plan on their lives that you have ordained beforehand for them to do. And while being engaged in church is good and necessary, it refuels our souls, it equips us, it trains us, it gives us what we need. I also thank you for the everyday work of building the church by making disciples that happens between Sundays. And I pray that we would always be on guard and on notice looking for every good opportunity to do every good work. Not so that we could earn anything with you, but so that we could almost laugh at how you take what little we have and you multiply it. And it's by your grace that we enjoy this wonderful life of following you and seeing every great thing you can do through us. We commit our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.